Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Kitchen to Shelf. Kitchen to Shelf is the educational arm of Next Level Brands CPG community and a provider of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth. Whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or a regional powerhouse, Kitchen to Shelf can help you scale your business at retail, on Amazon, or food service. That's Kitchen to Shelf, kitchen the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Hello, this is Steve Clear, and today the Next Level Brands podcast is welcoming Susie York to the program. Susie is the CEO and founder of Love Good Fats and is on a mission to bring healthy fats back. As a mom, the 11-time Ironman competitor and yoga enthusiast, she spent years adhering to a low-fat diet only to hit a wall in her mid-40s. After reading Nina Teicholz's bestseller, Big Fat Surprise, she immediately shifted to a high-fat, low-carb diet, felt better right away. While she loved the benefits of the new lifestyle, she found it challenging to find convenient, good-fat snacks. Seeing a gap in the marketplace and a huge opportunity to help others through food, Susie started Love Good Fats, producing high-fat, low-carb, low-sugar products. Love Good Fats expansion has been very quick. It's one of the fastest growing bar brands in North America. And as a 30-year veteran of the CPG industry, which means she should have known better all along, Susie has worked at high-profile companies, including Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, Kraft Heinz, and Weight Watchers. We're going to delve into all of that now. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, so I, I'll start with sort of this, sorry, snarky comment I made. But, you know, again, it's to those of us who've spent... Uh, anything over probably 15 years in the CPG industry, damn, we should know better than to go out and try to start a brand. Um, you know, we, you and I probably both been involved, me on the agency side, you on the brand side in, uh, you know, someone of the size of PepsiCo launching a new product that's a total failure. And if they can, you know, stumble, um, any rate, how, how did you, you know, how did you marry your experience with the reality of what you were going to do? Yeah, and that's a fair question, Stephen. Like when I, my whole career has been in CPG, uh, started at Procter & Gamble, moved to PepsiCo and then Heinz and then Weight Watchers and Conagra in between, the failure rate of innovation was about 80% for those 20 or 30 years. And now we're hearing in the natural industry is more like 98% of the innovation or new brand launches don't make it to the, the 5 million. So right. Certainly, it's not for the faint of heart to start and launch a brand. It's hard for the big multinationals to be successful with their innovation and new brands and uh, line extensions, category extension. And it's even harder for, for a little startup because you're, you're competing against what I call the big boys uh, uh, brands often, and particularly in bars, you know, we're we're competing against a billion, a couple of billion, sure. several billion bar, dollar brands. Cliff, yeah, kind. Yeah. yeah, they're all in the in over the billions, and we're just you know a little startup. And and uh, so that being said, though, I think the combination of my my I guess now thirty years of CPG gave me a little bit more confidence than maybe a just a a, a food startup that um that you know an entrepreneur that's in their 20s 30s that has a great idea but hasn't worked in food yet um right. so I, I certainly was not uh you know naive to the risk i um 
it really just started off with uh, an idea after I read a book and I put on PowerPoint, you know, positioning and then worked on product and make sure the price value and, and the cash flow would work, like just the basics, you know, positioning and PL, and started shopping around the idea to some trusted, uh, really just networking, former bosses and connections through networking of, of people who could help. Uh, you know, someone who had a startup food idea. I wind up in the end presenting that little PowerPoint that evolved a bit. Uh, at first, it had no packaging, and 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 uh, and then it had packaging and samples and full PLs and a whole bunch of things. <laughs> yes, uh, but Life I, of I wind up I wind up I think having at least nearly two hundred pitch meetings, uh, networking, <sighs> just coffee. Um, and, you know, all but one, and these were all people that I, I really kind of respected and valued, you know, their, where they were in their career, what they had done and the advice. Like I was very open, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit unique in the sense of um, you'll, you'll hear that I'm very open to kind of gathering feedback. And, and in all of these, you know, all of these meetings and connections, I would always say, you know, if this was your kid's university money, you know, would you kind of take a chance? And um, all but one said yes, uh, said yes, said for sure. And then one said, oh, no, no, don't, you know, don't take don't take that kind of risk because it's so, you know, I kind of had a lot a focus group of 200 of, of kind of folks that, you know, different opinions um, had a four rounds of consumer research by the time I launched. And still, you know, improved the packaging three times since then. So definitely uh, a lot of quick adapt, quick adapt, quick, quick adapt. But it wasn't like a really big idea at the right time. And then we got fortunate with keto trend picking off. So, oh yeah, you know, instead of just, you know, the goal was to get like any food launch in Canada, the goal is to get about 2 million in revenue. And then mm -hmm. I think you know that, you know, if you're a food startup in Canada and you you hit the two million mark, that's kind of like the 20 in the US equivalent. Right, right. You know, yeah. you you know you, you know, A, you can pay yourself and a few employees, not not too many, but you can have a you know, a, a small little team. And you probably have a sustainable enough idea if you hit two million in Canada. Right. Like and there's something there. If you don't make it to two million you know, you're, you kind of are not anchored yet, but it's a good milestone, the same as 20 is for the US. So, you know, we got to four times that in the first year. And then we started making, you know, three to four times that in a month at one point in our second year. So, you know, we kind of like really blew by all of the kind of minimum requirements needed to, to know that, you know, you have like a like in my case, I just wanted a job, right? I was just like, <laughs> I want this to work. Like I want this to be the rest of my career. So, um, and it, yeah, and and that's a uh, again transcending those marks is is really important. Let me ask you real quick, Susie. Though we talk about CPG background, um, I remember another interview I did with another um, woman who's similar again background, and I think it included PepsiCo as well. But she was an R and D person. She was in food mm -hmm. science. Yeah. And so she says, I really didn't have any, I mean, other than how to maybe make the product a little less expensive than I was making it. She goes, marketing, sales. She goes, no clue. I, yeah. I worked at Pepsi, but not in there. So what, yeah. where did you work within CPG? 
So I was in the marketing vein. So I graduated uh, out of McGill in electrical engineering, but I was <laughs> offered a job in marketing at P&G in Toronto. So I, you know, I'm fortunate that I, I took a job that basically back then my mentor, my hiring mentor said, you know, I said, well, one day I want to, you know, launch, um, my, I have my own company. And they said, you know, this is the best place on the planet to learn the basics of building your own brand. Uh, yeah. The difference is you're surrounded by, you know, a whole network uh, that this is what we do. So, and they were right, you know, um, in the marketing department, I had a chance to kind of work on on some big brands and launch some innovation and and uh, relaunch some brands. Then I went to Frito-Lay, I launched Tostitos into Canada. Um, it's not uh, yeah. a launch from scratch because the brand existed in the US, but it sure. was a new brand for, for Canada. So it was, you know, you, you kind of have to introduce Canadians to a new brand. So uh, not the same as when it's your own little startup brand and you're going store to store and, and, uh, and you know, talking to the to buyers yourself, but still, you know, it gave me a flavor for what it's all about. And like, like a, a number of, of um, your fellow entrepreneurs in food and beverage, um, you kind of came to this through a personal change in lifestyle as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, triathlons and then something which I don't know a whole lot about. Um, and, and, but then how you kind of made that full circle from no fat to love fat. Yeah. So I, I was in my twenties and like many, many people in North America was following a low fat diet. Cause you know, we were told that fats were, were not good and low fat was a good way to kind of be healthy. I was always looking to lose the last 10 or 20 pounds. So I started running when I started my first job and then that led to running longer. And then that red led to my first marathon. And then, um, and then I kind of, I had a bike kind of that I hadn't really used since I was 18, but then I started riding my bike a bit and, and, you know, I, I signed up for just a short triathlon at the end of a summer. And, uh, the best gift was meeting a group of volunteer triathletes. They had a newsletter and they got together socially in the fall and I got invited and that was kind of the beginning of a big kind of uh, fork in the road where my, 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 my best friends, most of my friends and most of my life outside of work was um, with this large group of runners and triathletes. And then I met more and more that uh, had done Ironman, even though they had a full time job. So I was like, whoa. So that kind of mm. became maybe I can do that. And, uh, you know, in my 20s, I basically like the following summer, I, I was inspired. I had a new group of friends and we exchange ideas on nutrition and, and bikes and and races. And I did a longer uh, race. And then the next year I signed up for an Ironman and I did my first Ironman in 93. And then I did another 94 and I went to Europe and Germany in 98 and um, and 94. I also went to Hawaii. So I at the world championship there. Wow. So it was like, it was fun in my twenties. I was still always battling on the nutrition side because I was eating low fat. So I was, you know, slapping power bars on my bike, like, like the yeah. pros were, were doing back then and ripping little pieces of like sticky power bar that was kind of glued on the, the steel frame. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then I took nine years off and I, I didn't really ride my bike or swim, but I kept running a tiny bit. Like it was kind of a nine busy years. I got separated, had a little daughter um, and then I turned 40 and I'm like, oh, I think I need a goal again. And, uh, and I, I ran a marathon and qualified for 
for Boston and did that. And then I said, okay, well, maybe I'll dust off my bike again. And uh, and that worked out, that worked out really well. I, I did a, a little triathlon here in Muskoka and uh, qualified for an Ironman in Florida again. So, so you know, I did a total of 11, um, but I was always fueled on carbs and sugar. Right. And that's, you know, I hit mid forties. I had a, a great job in Vancouver. I was flying Tuesday to Fridays and I just got, you know, I thought I was fit enough. I just did all these Ironmans, I was doing yoga running and I was flattened. Like my, my, my blood pressure kept going up and up and I couldn't kind of keep it under control, even though I was doing all the right things and I wasn't eating any salt and following the DASH diet. And, and then my IBS, I would just get more and more bloated. And I was just, miserable and I just was just popping popping prescription meds and trying to kind of feel good and we know that digestive health leads to overall health so it's really only you know it got worse and worse and then I read this book uh, I was in the natural space I was consulting the VP of marketing for four different companies at one point and I read Nina Teichold's book The Big Fat Surprise and then it on the plane on my way to Expo West uh-huh. And then I'm like, okay, okay. I, you know, I walk the show and I'm like, there's going to be another marketer in North America, at least one mother who's going to see what I'm seeing and, um, and want to kind of launch a brand to spread the word that fats are indeed good and sugar is the culprit. So to, you know, to shift kind of the, the mix and start enjoying fat again. And so from the personal transformation, and it, 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 it's, it's interesting because there's a couple of people that uh, I've gotten to know through the industry that kind of went through similar types of things. Um, and it, you know, it was 180 degree, just like you, it was low fat yep. carb. They weren't triathletes or anything, but they were on that, that path. Yep. Um, when you read the book and you started research, so, okay, now you see an opportunity or, or, you know, something in front, what did you do next in terms of did you say okay i want to do a bar because a bar is convenient did you say i just want to do something to have with me as a snack when i'm traveling how did you land on the the bar concept yeah it, it it's interesting at at first well first i i i knew that the idea would be call it a billion dollar brand that would convey good fat that would convey fat so the brand name had to have fats i didn't want to just call it you know Susie something like that didn't <laughs> say the word fat because the whole right. idea is, hey, Chobani got to a billion dollars really quick by, you know, telling Americans that Greek yogurt is is good. You know, it's full of protein. And um, and I, you know, I worked in weight loss between Weight Watchers and a supplement company for 10 years. So I kind of knew that strong undercurrents of healthier way to eat, either it's, you know, b- back then was more protein was kind of a, a kind of a, a better way to eat than just sugar and carbs. Now it was more fat. I kind of knew there's a powerful undercurrent there. Gluten-free was a powerful undercurrent also and plant-based. So I, I knew that as a brand platform of a powerful undercurrent that not only is healthier to to eat, but will also lead to, to weight loss, di- therefore, you know, diabetes and inflammation, which we all know now is um, some of the benefits of a keto diet and, yes. uh, yeah. and all the clinicals that are out. There's over 100 clinicals out now. 
So the so I knew there was something there that it's not just you know a, a cookie kind of diet fad or something. That the brand is about spreading a message of eating good fats, and it was really easily embraced. Uh, the majority of people my age uh, would you know they see my t-shirt fat is back and I heard a thousand times, well, it should have never left. We always knew it was good. You know, our generation knew it was good. And then North American big food companies got us to, you know, fake process, transform stuff. But now we were going back to like, you know, those, those good fats, those, the fats and butters and meats and creams and milks, um, we're okay. What's not okay is the sugar the process and the carbs um, that have come with like a diet high in carbs and sugar and, and artificial and, stuff. And, and one of the things um, I was talking yesterday with an, an author who has got a, a, a book out about um, basically food, American food and the history and evolution of food. Um, but we were talking about what happened when low fat kind of became the mantra, but the answer to making low fat foods palatable was to add more sugar. And it didn't yeah. matter whether it was ketchup or, you know, it didn't matter. You could, if you were gonna take fat out, you had to have some cessation, some, you know, some of it was just mouthfeel, some it yeah. was, but you had to put sugar in it to make it work. And then all of a sudden, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ingesting as much fat, but man, I'm looking at my sugar at the end of the day. And now, and we went on just to chat about it a little bit, was we have the new rules in, in the U.S., and I'm, I don't know, I'm assuming Canada too, but I'm not sure, um, you know, the updated nutritionals, where you're going to have to call out added sugars, alcohol sugars, mm -hmm. whatever. Some Finally, people are going to be yep. picking up products and going, oh my God, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, well, been, I hope so. it it steps in the right like total sugars is still a big deal. Like added sugars is certainly a, a step in the right direction. But you could have some energy bars some that, you know, people think are good. They have 15 grams of added sugar and they have, you know, 20 grams of sugar just because of the date and yeah. the agave. And, you know, sugar right. is sugar is sugar to your liver. So you know, we're moving in the right direction with calling out added sugars. Um, but it's still like, you know, we, uh, I was exactly that consumer who I was watching my fat all day. And then if I did a four or five hour bike ride that Saturday night, I had the brownies with, you know, extra <laughs> caramel sauce and sure. kind of a little bit of extra milk chocolate, which was what I adored and craved all day long. And, um, you know, in the end, that was really kind of the opposite. And it's only when I, uh, you know, I tried to cut sugar a gazillion times, like, like everybody, I'm sure, you know, you're gonna, you know, try to kind of do a bit better. But, you know, you only really have three macronutrients, fat, essential fat, fat, essential proteins, essential um, proteins, and then carbs. And within carbs, you have, you know, complex carbs and single carbs. So the, you know, if you're, if, if you're cutting fats and therefore you, you can't just eat protein. So you, you stuff all these carbs and sugars in, in mm -hmm. the, in the foods, as you said, so uh, to try to get some taste and then there was all processed stuff. And there was certainly processed, you know, uh, vegetable oils, which are not good fats. And we kind of shifted the mix to think that, you know, all these omega sixes and processed 
vegetable oils are are better and then you throw fried stuff on top of that oh my goodness so it's just was a really bad kind of 20 30 years we are now thanks to the natural industry and and a lot of food startups like like mine and the plant-based movement and we're trying to kind of move back to you know organic non-gmo project verified clean ingredients simple not processed etc right um but we have a you know for people my age we have a lot of damage to undo and um and it's not an easy choice you know some some there's big debates of what is better for you um in all of the industries you know our 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 plant-based diets better than uh than uh, than meat-based diets than keto diets than cookie diets like from a nutrition perspective there's huge debates uh there's a lot of food allergies so what works for one may not work for someone else right uh what saved the day for me is low carb not keto because i didn't really go to keto but low carb saved the day you know got me off my two prescription medication i can live a normal life again um it doesn't work for everybody uh so i you know i i really don't eat sugars i don't eat fruit sugars i stay away from carbs other than sometimes i'll indulge in a wrap with a lot of good you know stuff inside all <laughs> kind of cheat um i do eat meat i love butter bacon um all those good uh, things. just fats you know milk <laughs> yeah. pro- i'm okay with milk products they work well for me they don't for my son so you know it's not easy no you have to kind of wind your way through it yeah so so um in in starting the the brand susie and, and obviously uh, uh, taking a little bit from your background but uh as you mentioned you're in canada um so when you were putting this together and in your your plan obviously was to grow it take it to retail you had that together yeah but but how did you start did you start in a commercial kitchen environment making your own did you go to a co-packer what what how'd you starting start is, is 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 really hard and everyone has a different uh a different kind of path mine was you know once i knew i wanted to launch a fat brand then i i was kind of like well what's kind of the best way to introduce it and with my experience i've worked on food a lot. I worked on bars quite a bit. At first I was like, oh, you know, bars is pretty crowded. I'm going to force myself to think outside of the box and what other categories could I launch? And then it didn't take long. Once I I was kind of doing the business assessment, you know, the category, the consumer, the competitive, the spaces and the the location in the store, it didn't take long that I kind of came back. I felt I did a good job to push the thinking all the way out what else other than bars could I look at? But, you know, when it kind of comes back, like the category is massive, 6.4 billion, it really gives you rapid trial. So it is a very tough category to penetrate uh, with, with no barriers to entry. It seems everyone, you know, can launch a bar. But then again, oh, yeah. um, and it's a tough, because of that, there's a lot of stuff coming in and out. But then the flip side is you can get rapid trial. So if you have a unique tasting, you know, a differentiated positioning with which we did with our name and our and then you have a unique tasting, better tasting product, something that's different than than the protein bars, because we know that the biggest dissatisfier in the category was the taste of, of many bars are not yep. that great unless they're full of sugar and then they're a candy bar. 
And yeah. there's a lot of candy bar disguised in the there, nutritional there, there are a lot of unhealthy. Yeah. Yes, there yeah. are. But yeah. they're they're sitting there pretending to be healthy. But um, but you know that that would it would a unique and a and a better taste, like you can break through. And that's really what happened. So then I was like, okay, well, I kind of want portable. A portable, great tasting, low sugar, good fat snack. I started Googling and it didn't take long that I found fat bombs. And I was like, oh, what's a fat bomb? So I realized that right away. What's a, And a fat bomb is just like a, you know, high fat, low sugar um, uh, treat. And very easy to make, three, four ingredients, make them at home, but they're not shelf stable. So I made fat bombs, you know, coconut oil and cocoa butter and butter. Okay, I got fat bombs. Um, now I, you know, how do you make it in a larger scale? So I, I, I did an RFP actually. I look, I kind of posted on LinkedIn. I'm looking for, you know, kitchens that would help me develop my product outside of my own little kitchen. So it'd be right. more commercial kitchens. Back then there wasn't a lot. I found like three in the U S and then thankfully I landed one here in, in Ontario. Cause little did I know you can't ship chocolate across the border. You have, you know, FDA approvals and all that. It'd be, it gets seized right. without that. So little, like, luckily I found a kitchen here and then they helped me refine what was more of a commercial formula, like recipe. So we changed some ingredients. So I had 12 weeks in a row, every week I would drive up and go taste some new samples and give feedback. And they were really, really, really good. Then I, that helped me open the door and find a co-man because now I had like full recipes that were supposedly, you know, ready to be commercialized at a large co-packer. And uh, I had great PowerPoint. I had, you know, consumer research now. I had a board of directors. So now it was getting serious. So I, I found a co-packer that was like, okay, you know, you're still like unproven and we get every week we get requests for people of making course. bars, but right. they liked, they liked the idea and they took a chance. They had to kind of throw out that recipe because it really wasn't actually designed for commercial co-packer. Um, but and they kind of started from they had a good R&D and started from scratch. So we wind up with a, with a conceptually was the same, the same macros, the same intent, the same clean ingredients. Um, but we had like a good recipe. So it kind of went, you know, three steps. Um, and, and were you surprised by I mean, I, I've been following, um, you know, love good fats. Um, you know, for a while. And I was kidding you at one point on LinkedIn, I think it was about, Susie, I'm tired of sending you congratulatory notes. Because <laughs> every week there's some new distribution. There's some, have you been surprised by the success? Yeah, well, I think we've all, like the, the success is, is the, the growth in two years is, is on nearly unheard of in, in Canada. I mean, we've gone from zero to eight to 47 million in, in you know, the first 24 months of the of the business. So that is like really kind of surpassed, you know, we would have never set uh, budget objectives that high and, and plan for that. So we were constantly catching our breath. The first year, you know, getting to 8 million and we hit a couple of months of a million dollars. You know, we were a team of, I was, you know, I was that I was myself and I wasn't paid for the first two years. And then there was a team of two and then three. And then in May of 18, we had, the, you know, I had two kind of VPs. So by the fall, a year and a bit into after selling the first selling we had five employees. So we were able to manage, you know, the, the first year and get to 8 million at five employees. It was like, I was still doing like all the things founders do. You touch everything, you know, Facebook ads, web, 
website integration, Amazon, sales sheets, met, meet every single buyer, go to pretty much every single demo, every consumer show and every buyer show in Canada and the US. Like it was nuts. Um, the second year we were really scaling and the US uh, uh, retailers were calling us and we scaled like really fast. So that was very challenging. And we hired like a lot of people and a bit too many people too fast. And And sometimes, you know, you, you, someone who's really good when your company is $5 million is different than when your company's 50 or, oh, yes. or going to be 100. So yes. we had to come, we compressed all of that in 24 months. And a lot of startups take, you know, five, 10 years to get to 10 million or, or 80 million, right? But it's, it's certainly not two to get. So time is a bit of a gift and allows you to kind of make less mistakes and kind of, feel a little bit less uh, that, 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 that it's kind of go-go. So hyper growth is not for everybody, um, but we were kind of in it. You know, the, 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 the products was flying off the shelves and the retailers wanted more and more and we did more innovation and the innovation was flying and then the brand was getting bigger and bigger and you had that, you know, multiplier effect of uh, you go from two SKUs to 10 SKUs and, the consumer has more choice. The retailer gives you a shelf. The consumer sees a shelf. Then you get two shelves and we get a pallet. Then we get two pallets and we get three pallets. Like it just becomes like a big kind of flywheel that takes off. It's it's like an upside down. It's like a funnel, except yeah. you're going the other way. Yeah. So yeah. Start out at 20 stores. Your next move is 200 stores. And yeah. the next move is 2000 stores. So yep. it's it's funny how the industry how the industry works that way, you know. And, yep. and you can you can you can do it. Um, what what was in 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 terms of your you know matching your background to basically CEO of you know you've gone from founder to now all of a sudden you're CEO of a good sized company. What yep. what were some of your challenges in in making that transition? Yeah, well, I think like like many founders, uh, you know, it starts kind of small where you just have an idea and you have to do everything. And and for me, I think that was the the biggest shift because I had been a VP of marketing, CMO for ten years, so I hadn't written a sales sheet in twenty years. I hadn't written a, a project brief. I had written, you know, or myself a positioning, PR brief, promo brief. I hadn't figured out how do you get a website, write copy decks, like you literally do everything. You know, I'm on a phone with a 3PL, like what's a 3PL? Oh, I need an API <laughs> yeah. oh, connection. Yeah. You know, how does the website, how does the order uh, on the website get, get fulfilled? <laughs> oh, you need an API. Well, but the website company, no, no, we don't do that. We don't know how that works. We just right. give you the website, you go figure it out. I'm like, oh, who knows how that works? Oh, we don't know. You know, like, okay, so you, you basically kind of figuring everything out and, uh, and how Facebook ads work. And, and I, you know, I did all the emails for the first year and a half. I still, of course, do all my LinkedIn and stuff, but I did pretty much all social DMs were me for the first two years. Um, so the, so, you know, it's just kind of a very rapid, uh, rapid transition, um, I hired a, a lot of a lot of people and some senior people kind of like my, that year that was growing pretty fast. So I, I kind of let them, you know, run with, you know, they were like, OK, we got the project management of, of, of the new SKUs and we got the project management of like shipping to Walmart and two different distributors and all that kind of stuff. So 
So that worked that worked pretty well. Like I, you still have to be really involved on the PL and the cash flow side. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, I I think that we we kind of you know we had uh, we had a little bit of hiccups there at one point. So uh, I when you've been a CEO multiple times, like you know how to raise money, you know about you know shareholder agreements, you know about VCs, you know about pitches, you know about term sheets, uh, you know about a board. You know, for me, it was all new, like the board, the minutes, all the the regulatory compliance, <laughs> governance. I just learned, you know, pretty much like I, you know, you set up bank accounts. Did you know in Canada you, you know, you can't get a US bank account. So it's really hard paying your US vendors, by the way. <laughs> so you kind of had to, you know, figure all of that stuff out. So that was really the two years. I think if you kind of think about where we are now and we're looking at growing to hundred million. You know, for sure, a CEO who's done that again and again would have a different approach than than I have. You know, I'm I'm more of a, a head of marketing and a brand builder, and and uh, like to focus on the growth and whatnot. So certainly, you know, the 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 growth part, the marketing, the brand and innovation part has more appeal to me than uh, the multiple hats of a CEO. But um, you know, we'll 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 see how that evolves. So, so you were smoking along 2019, everything's yep. great. January, 2020 is going to be a hell of a year. What did the pandemic do to the business? Yeah, well, the pandemic has been really challenging uh, in the nutritional bar category, so uh, which has been really hard hit. So unfortunately, uh, fortunately, there's lots of food brands that have done uh, categories that have done really, really well. And there's a lot of food brands that have done really well. You know, you have the big CPG food companies, have had you know record years. I I had recruiters tell us that you know some executives have had have had bonuses in 2020 that they've never had in their career before and probably will never have in their career to go. You know, like just smashing, smashing years. But but for a new brand, it played against all of us with a new brand. So we kind of had a double hit where we're a nutritional bar and and on the go, and you're at home, you know, buying right. a bread maker and making banana bread. Um, and we're not in Canada. It hit us not 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 as hard because we're, we're we got so established so quickly that we had good awareness and trial already. But in the U.S., we were a little baby brand, you know, three percent aided awareness. So all of the startup brands uh, are have been hard hit in the U.S. And there's a lot of you know really kind of sad, unfortunate stories. First, you know, a lot of startup brands are in the natural space. And consumers stop going to natural, you know, whole foods yeah. category uh, has really been hit sprouts because you're just doing one trip. You're not doing the five trips that we were all doing before where you right. went to whole foods and you went. Yeah. So and then you're you're a, a less known brand and people are walking in with, you know, kind of face mask and have their list that they did at home and they're kind of laser focus on going to following the arrows on the floor and going to the section to get their products and they're not doing discovery yeah, and discovery yeah. has been the enabler to all of these startups without the concept of discovery you know we wouldn't be where we are today with all these new brands so we've all been pretty hit um we're you know we're pretty lucky that we were in 12 six, uh, 16,000 doors um, and we were in some good doors uh, and and we were able to kind of, you know, 
maintained during COVID. Uh, we didn't cancel our our trade span, our ads, our promos. Some of it was canceled because they just don't. No one's doing flyers anymore. But we, right. as a company, didn't didn't say we're canceling all our spend. We pulled back on our marketing, of course, um, and we had to downsize uh, our team because we had kind of hired for uh, the, a little bit ahead of the growth to try to get ahead. Um, so, you know, but as soon as COVID hit that Sunday, we got together as a management team. We had a five kind of pillar strategy. One is protect our people, protect our supply chain, protect our brand, protect our building blocks. We had three big building blocks, each of about, you know, half a million to a million and a half, like ready to go. Plus we had innovation and then uh, protect our cash flow. So we had to start a raise right away. And we did, we executed those five pillars pretty well. Um, we had a record raise, so that allowed us to have the cash flow so we can kind of keep on, on going. We, we thought COVID would be three months, so we were like, okay, we're good, you know, and, and now COVID is like forever. So, so we're happy we, we had such a big raise and grateful to our investors. Um, and then now we're just getting ready for the reopening, you know, and, and back to school should have some good momentum. The category in the U.S., the MULO category is up in April in bars for the first time in 13 months, but 33% growth. So, you know, there's good signs uh, coming along and we want to be fast out of the gate as uh, as consumers kind of start getting back outside and start reengaging and buying buying bars on the go. Yeah, it, it's been, I mean, obviously just a, a huge challenge all the way around, but particularly for new brands. And anything where, um, you know, demoing and sampling were critical, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. or anything that required a little bit of education because nobody was spending any time. You're right. It was in the store. Yeah. I'm following. Oh, I'm walking the wrong way down the aisle. Wait, I need to go back. Okay, I got this, yeah. this, and this, right. and I want to get the heck out of here, right? Yep. Um, and then also, I think, a little bit more return to some com quote, unquote, comfort, comfort food. Comfort food, yeah. Easy to, you know, people were cooking at home, so. Yep. You know, but snacking did increase. Yeah. You know, and even healthy snacking increased. Yep. Um, well, crackers so and chips have had chocolate chips and crackers have all gone through the roof. And, you know, even myself, I'm at home. Like I've always been, you know, into crackers, but I never brought crackers to the office. But now I'm at home. So, you know, some low, uh, some low kind of carb crackers, which there's a lot right now, and cheese yep. and some butter and some olives. That's kind of my snacks at home. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, a nice snack versus a bar, even though, you know, I, I'm a big fan of our bars, but sure, you know, many people don't think about eating a bar at home and we have ideas, you know, cut some pieces in yogurt and, and put it in your smoothie and this and that, but the natural tendencies to when you're eating at home are, are a bit different than just opening up a bar. Then Right. Or being, quote unquote, on the go, as it were. Yeah. Um, without uh, spilling any, you know, special secrets or anything, what's sort of down the road next? Yeah, well, we're like all hands on deck to get ready to, you know, for the world reopening. So we have, you know, a lineup of our 10 bars and we have our shakes and uh, having a fast start out of the gate. So we've we've worked really closely with all the retailers and continue to, to support. Uh, so, we you know, we certainly want displays and awareness in store and have a fast start. And uh, a lot of the retailers are, are, are also telling us like that's going to be really key to kind of get back out there. Um, 
the uh, we are working on innovation and can't spill uh, too much uh, about what's coming. But the brand is is really really strong in Canada. We had innovation rolling out our new chewy nutty in the U.S. when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So that's still kind of young innovation for us. We have our three new chewy nutty flavors that are our our best sellers in nearly most of the U.S. accounts already within a very short period ah, of time. Okay. Yeah, they're outselling. So we have our chewy nutty uh, dark chocolate and sea salt. Uh, our uh, our salted caramel is uh, with a white uh, white chocolate coating is is pretty insanely sweet, even though it's just one gram of sugar. And then our peanut butter chocolate chewy nutty tastes like like an O Henry, but without the sugar. So we have um, so we have those three, but we have more innovation coming down the pipe. Excellent, that's great. Good stuff. Well, um, you know, one of the things, um, Susie, we uh, always try to um, get our guests to share with our audiences, mainly fellow entrepreneurs um, and and people in the industry. But uh, based on your experience and and uh, you know, tremendous growth the brand has had, um, can you share with us a a word of advice or a phrase or a topic or a quote that you think should resonate and uh, you want fellow entrepreneurs to remember? Absolutely, for sure. The advice I give, and it's the advice that was given to me, is just start. You know, the the biggest challenge for the entrepreneur is to take that leap and go from, I have an idea, I have an idea, to, okay, here's my idea, Whole Foods, or uh, any of the natural banners that are around you, and I want to have to get this on your shelves. Like, just start. And taking that first step is really key because it's often the one that gets procrastinated the most. And then you see that once you you have it for sale on your website, but mostly in your stores, that um, right. that you know you kind of have the momentum. And then you'll learn. You know, I did a lot of research before, did and then did quick adapt, quick adapt. But you know, you'll you'll figure it out. You'll get. They connected to your consumers because that's what we are as founders. You're in the stores, you're in the shows, you're talking to pretty much every single consumer. They're all giving you advice and yep. insight. That's a big advantage we have versus the big food companies. So just, you know, pivot if you need to pivot, if you didn't quite launch the right category or uh, or your brand positioning or even your name. You know, we changed our name from Susie's Good Fats to Love Good Fats, but just, you know, start. Because yep. the start is kind of the key to just your journey. And until you started, you don't really, you just have an idea, but you don't right. have it come to life yet. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Well, Susie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and sharing the story. Again, congratulations on, you know, the success has just been amazing. And we're going to watch more, obviously, as uh, we quote unquote, you know, reopen again. So, um, but, and you know, Love to talk to you some more. We'll do this again a little bit down the road whenever the next plateau is, is that uh, that yep. we make. But it's been it's been a lot of fun and you know, yep. appreciate it. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Okay. And thanks to everybody else for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you're a growing firm in food, beverage, health, or wellness, or even small goods, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, and founder coaching. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at 
Next, with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.